came to us through sacrifice, O heed the faithful words of Christ. You can be seated. Turn your attention to the next section in your bulletin. Uh, we take this part of the service to, uh, to recognize and to honor our children's presence among us, uh, both in recognition that they are um, fully a part of us. They are not second class, but they are a part of our body. Um, and also to recognize that uh, Jesus says that, that his kingdom, that his very presence uh, is made manifest as we among children and as we are present to children. That's a great hat. <laughs> that totally just threw me off. Looking real good, Winna. Um, okay, what are we doing? <laughs> Page four. Uh, so kids, uh, be ready for your part. Children of God, the Lord be with you as you worship. Amen. Let's pray as we continue to worship. God, we want to hear your voice tonight. Your voice that um, both breaks the cedars, that calls uh, things into existence from nothing, and your voice that speaks uh, love and hope and restoration and identity to us. We want to hear your voice to us in Jesus Christ tonight. So we ask that your spirit would illuminate and empower us to be both good hearers and uh, then good doers of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It's good to be back with you guys. Uh, I was only gone for one week, uh, but I missed you guys. I missed you guys. Um, I... When I go, um, even though I don't see most of you guys during the week, even though I was out of town, I, it's like I'm gone from everybody, and I, I carry you guys in my heart. Um, genuinely, truly, truly I do. Um, and part of the reason that I'm saying this is because uh, even being gone for just one week, I feel like a little emotional. <laughs> so I'm just like prefacing the sneaky cry, so bear with me uh, if in, in the inevitable... Um, possibility that's going to happen. Good to see you guys. Uh, This is the second Sunday of Epiphany. We are in the season of Epiphany. Uh, Epiphany is a fancy word uh, that that just means that something has been revealed, that something has has been clarified, Uh, something has been made known, Uh, a light has shown, and in, in, in some, the light has shed light on something. Um, in, the, in the ancient world, even, uh, that word epiphany could be used to talk about uh, when a, a, a deity um, who was otherwise hidden had been revealed or who had been made visible. It was an epiphany. Something is made known or made visible or made manifest. And so, uh, in the season of Epiphany, uh, we remember that central, central to who we are uh, as Christians, to our identity as Christians, is this affirmation that Jesus is the epiphany of God. 
So, so follow, fo- kind of follow the logic here with me. It's, it's an advent. We, we recognize that, that Jesus came among us. And, and so what we're saying is so what's so important is not only did Jesus just simply come among us, that Jesus' uh, advent was also an epiphany. It was also a revelation. It was also a point of clarification. Something was brought into light, was made manifest that hadn't been clarified and made known and brought into light and made manifest before. So Jesus' advent was also an epiphany. Jesus has made known, has revealed God. Jesus is the epiphany of God's saving purpose. Jesus is the epiphany of God's saving purpose to renew all things. That's what we're drawing our attention to. That's where, that's where we are drawn into during this season of epiphany. It's that Jesus makes known, reveals, manifests God's saving purpose to renew all things. And not only in the past, but even today, even tonight, Jesus' presence among us makes manifest God's saving purpose to renew all things. Recently, uh, I was sitting across the table uh, sharing a cup of coffee uh, with a friend who I hadn't seen in a while, and I was asking my friend uh, how things were going. He, he was in a, a, a sort of a new job, had actually transitioned out of ministry a few years ago and was in a new job and I was just I was just asking him about how all that was going what it was like uh to be in the real world um after ministry and to be working and and he was uh uh saying that he loved his his job um he he, uh it was it was such a great place to be um it was engaging uh, his creative side in a way that was really fulfilling and important to him and he loved it um so much and and um and it was it was great uh, but then we pressed in a little bit more. And as we, as we pressed into how things were going, he said, uh, Seth, I'm, I'm turning 50 this year, and life is just wearing on. He said it's a, it's a sun-up, sun-down kind of thing. Uh, what he was making reference to was uh, in Ecclesiastes, especially the first part of Ecclesiastes, the author is talking about the passing, the things just keep turning, they just keep going. The sun goes up, uh, the sun goes down. It comes up, it goes down, it just keeps turning, and there's kind of this meaninglessness to that, just like one day after another. It was a kind of uh, uh, expression of how life was kind of monotonous, but also it just seemed to have this kind of like meaninglessness. Just over and over, and you just do it again. He was talking with me about how he was struggling with this and saying that he, he uh, didn't, was beginning to not look forward to another year just because it just felt like one more step. Go back, go to work, do the thing, go to work, do the thing, be with your family, go to, you know. And he said, I, I, I feel like a practical atheist I feel like I'm struggling uh, with that, that I'm, I'm functionally an, an atheist. And what he was talking about by, with that, maybe you've heard that, I've used that phrase before, maybe you've heard that before, a functional atheist, a practical atheist, someone, um, he was just saying how he, he was having trouble tuning in to God's presence. 
having an awareness of God's presence, um, living uh, functionally without regard to God's presence or what God was doing in the world. He was struggling with this. Can you, can you relate to this? Um, this being in this place of, like, of realizing, like, oh, it's just, this is just one thing after another, and, and life kind of starts to wear on, and, and that struggle with, with being present to God's presence as life starts to wear on, and you just get to the end of the day, and it's just one thing after another, and you're like, what's even going on? What's all this about? Like, what's, what's the purpose of this? Have you experienced that? Maybe you've experienced it in ways similar to my friend, but maybe it's a little bit different for you. Struggling with functional atheism. Maybe life wears on for you. One thing after another. And mixed into this, maybe, maybe some confusion, uh, maybe some hardship or pain. Maybe you find yourself just waiting for the next vacation. Like, when is Christmas break going to come? Right. Maybe with a little bit of Jesus sprinkled in there a little bit. And maybe, maybe you felt that on top of this, on top of the wearing on, the one thing after another, that there are so many things. There are so many things um, that we're surrounded by, so many images and stories and, and events that, that we behold, that we encounter during our day-to-day life. That, that shape uh, meaning and direction in our life. Maybe not in the direction of God. Can you relate to my friend? Does, does the meaning and the goal of your daily life, your actual existence, does the meaning of that seem hard to see? Do you find yourself asking, what is going on in this? Maybe you've even found yourself wondering, is the gospel big enough for this? Or, or do I need to just like give in and give over to, to functional atheism? This is just what life is going to look like. Christ the King, tonight we proclaim the good news. That in the world of functional atheism, of, of the wearing on, the sun up and sun down of life, that Jesus is the epiphany of God's saving purpose to renew all things. And that means that our whole life, Jesus' epiphany means that our whole life has meaning and has a goal in him. Our whole life has meaning and it has a goal in Jesus. There is a direction and there is a purpose to what we're doing into where we're headed. And that means that we don't have to give up or give over to functional or practical atheism. We don't have to give up or give over. Today, we can behold Jesus, the epiphany of God. Today, we can behold Jesus. And as we behold Jesus, we can get caught up into him. Have our life be caught up into his life so that our lives begin to take on uh, the meaning and the direction and the goal that he brings. 
And as we do this, as we behold Jesus, as our life begins to be caught up into Jesus's life, our lives become an epiphany of God's saving purposes to the world. Our lives become an epiphany of God's saving purpose to others. Here in our gospel reading in Luke chapter 3, uh, verses 15 through 21, uh, the main event taking place here is that Jesus is, is baptized by John in the Jordan. When Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan, uh, we see this crazy event that the heavens open. The Spirit descends on Jesus uh, in bodily form, Luke says, like a dove. It's kind of a strange thing. In bodily form, like a dove. Um, but the Spirit descends in some, in some tangible, concrete way on Jesus, and then the divine voice. The heavens rip open, the Spirit descends, and the divine voice speaks. God says, you are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. What, what, what is happening here in, in whole, in summary, is that this, Jesus' baptism, is validation validation. It's divine validation that everything that John has been proclaiming, everything that he's been preaching about the good news of what God is, is going to be doing in the world, it's divine validation that, that all of the things that John is preparing the way for, that it's happening in Jesus, that it's happening in and through Jesus. Jesus is the epiphany of God's saving purposes for all things, for all of life. Jesus, so all this is a validation that, that, even, that even that prophecy there that we read in Isaiah 43, I think, about, about God, God's relationship and his speaking to his people, all of that is, is, is being fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is, is manifesting that. That's what all this is about. So, if this is true, if it's true that Jesus is the epiphany, the revelation, the manifestation of God's saving purposes to renew all things, if that's true, that means that, that salvation, in, in that term, the gospel, may be bigger than some of us have realized or have been told that it is. Salvation may be bigger uh, than, than some of us realize or have been told that it is. Because we see here, if that's true, if Jesus is, is the epiphany of God's saving purposes to, re- purposes to renew all things, then salvation is not just something done for individuals. It's not just this thing that, that Jesus has done to, to have something that individuals can have. In fact, it's, it's this, if it's limited to that, if all that salvation is, if, if all the gospel is, is just this, this thing that we get from Jesus, then it's, it's kind of easy to end up living like a practical atheist. Because we've like got this thing, Jesus, salvation is this thing that Jesus did that he gave to me, and I have it, and it happened, and now what do I do? Now I'm just subject to the ongoing, sun up, sun down, day after day, trying my best to, to do some Christian-y things, but it just wears on, and, and it's easy to see. If, if that's all that salvation is, if that's all the gospel is, then this kind of like functional atheism takes over. But 
if it's true that Jesus is the epiphany of God's saving purposes, then that means that, that salvation, what's happening in Jesus, is bigger than, it includes, it includes what's done for individuals, but it's bigger than that. It's about God's goal for all creation, for our whole lives. It's, it's God's goal for human flourishing. What we see revealed in Jesus is not just something that we get. But what we see revealed in Jesus is what God is doing in all of creation, in every aspect of life, and all for, for all of human flourishing. And so that even helps us understand this. Uh, uh, you may have found it funny. I thought it was kind of funny. Um, you know, John the Baptist has been preaching this pretty intense message of repentance. And he says that this someone's going to come who's going to be greater than me, and they're going to bring Holy Spirit and fire, and the winning, winnowing fork is going to be in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then it says, and with many other exhortations, he preached good news. <laughs> but the implication is not that, that John the Baptist was saying then other things, and that that was good news, but that he was saying similar things, and he was preaching the good news. And it's kind of hard for us to imagine what's so good about that if salvation isn't bigger, and if Jesus isn't the epiphany of God, the revelation of this thing that God's doing to reveal the, the, the purpose and the goal of all of humanity and all of creation. We see that, that John's idea of salvation, John the Baptist's idea of, of salvation, may be bigger than what our idea is. And even the Jewish expectation uh, in John's day of what salvation was may, may be bigger than what ours is. And then that means that what Jesus is revealing, what he's manifesting, what he's shedding light on as salvation may be bigger than what we thought. Thanks be to God. Because this is it. This is what John is saying that the one, the greater one who is coming is going to bring. And that's that God is going to come and establish his righteous kingdom. God is going to come and establish his righteous kingdom. And that kingdom would be characterized by renewal and forgiveness and liberation and deliverance from bondage and oppression and new life. And all of the concrete, people in John's day wouldn't have imagined that God's salvation wouldn't have included all of the concrete stuff of their life, the stuff that mattered most. They're eating and drinking and playing and loving and laughing and, and working, all of it. It's about the, the liberation unto God's picture of flourishing in him for that and the forgiveness that comes as a part of that. Jesus is the revelation of all this. John says he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, and that he'll have a winnowing fork and he'll divide the chaff and he'll clear the threshing floor. What John is talking about is that, that when God's salvation comes, that the Holy Spirit is going to bring God's blessing and empower, empowering presence for God's redemption to come, and that the fire isn't going to destroy things, but it's going to purify things. So that people can be a part of God's redemptive mission. And when he's talking about this winnowing fork, this is obviously a metaphor, right? You guys know that? That like scripture speaks in metaphors? Because Jesus doesn't actually walk around with a winnowing fork, so far as I know. I mean, maybe some of you guys know some background stuff that could, I don't know. He's not actually walking around with a, he doesn't actually bring a winnowing fork, so it's a metaphor. 
And it's a metaphor for end-time judgment. And for most of us, end-time judgment may not sound like good news. It may not sound like the gospel, but it sounded like good news for the people who were listening to, to John because all of that was about the arrival of God's deliverance. Because, because people in Jesus' day, there in Luke it says that people were waiting with expectation. They were waiting for the day when God would come because even God's judgment meant that there was going to be release from bondage, from oppression, from, from stuff that was happening to them and from the stuff that they were caught in themselves that they felt like that they couldn't ever be released from, that God's arrival was going to bring all of that and it was going to mean renewal and new life and restoration. So we see that good news is not good news because it makes us feel better. Right? Right? That's not what makes the gospel good news. That, that's not what makes salvation good news, is that simply it makes us feel better. Good news is good news because it's about the arrival of God's redemption. And the arrival of God's, we're going to, depending on where you are, depending on what your life is like, you will experience the arrival of God's redemption in different ways. Depending on where we are. We see even in the Gospels that the poor and the marginalized in Jesus' day always received the Gospel more gladly, more openly, more excitedly than did the self-righteous and the rich. And so that's something that we need to reckon with. That just because it doesn't feel good doesn't mean that it's not the Gospel. doesn't mean that it's not the arrival of God's redemption in our life. The Gospel, salvation is so much bigger. This is what Jesus is revealing. And so in summary, here in, in, in Luke chapter 3, John is pointing to Jesus. He's saying that this is the one, this Jesus is the one who's bringing salvation. Look to him. In the gospel of John, um, John the Baptist says, Behold, behold the Lamb of God. Look to him, look to Jesus, behold the Lamb of God. In the ancient world, um, whenever you were called the son or the daughter of someone, um, progeny, people's children, uh, took on the character of their parents. That was kind of this idea. that If you were the son or you were the daughter of someone, it meant that, that you took on the character, and in a way you took on the vocation of your parent. And so at Jesus' baptism, when, when the divine voice speaks and the spirit falls, um, it's, it's validation. It's, it's pointing out that as the beloved son, that Jesus displays the character of God. That Jesus is in every way... Um, in identity, um, God's son, but not just in identity, but also in purpose. That Jesus is the one who is revealing and coming and bringing God's redemption, his renewal of all things, his kingdom. We see that Jesus is not just the messenger like John was, that Jesus is not just bringing good news, that Jesus is the good news. Jesus was not just accomplishing a purpose, not just getting things things done so that people could get something, but that Jesus himself is the purpose. He is, he is validated as, as both divine and as a human representative. And so that means that when we behold Christ as the epiphany of God's saving purposes in the world, when we behold Christ, what we see is the image of our renewed humanity— are you tracking with me? 
So it's not just that we see something that we get that doesn't apply to all these places of our lives, but we actually see our renewed humanity. We see both how and what God is doing with the world to renew the world. And we see it not abstractly, but we see what renewed humanity is supposed to look like in our everyday lives, in Jesus' life. Epiphany means that our whole life has, has meaning, and it has a goal. It, it, we have an identity. We belong to someone. And, 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 and who we are and what we're doing is going somewhere. It's tied to what God is doing in the whole world, where God is taking the world, how he's renewing all things. There's, there's more to say, of course, about, about the content of, of God's redemption in Jesus. But suffice it to say now that it includes everything. Everything is involved in it. And so one of the things that this means for us is that it's possible to see, but to not behold. That's the, that's the thing about this, this word. It's possible to see, uh, but to not behold. This was even true of people who encountered Jesus in the Gospels. That some people saw Jesus. Some people saw what he was doing, but they weren't able to behold. To behold is to, is to see, is to look with eyes of desire. To behold is to see with eyes of desire. Um, this is what happens um, whenever you uh, walk into your favorite department store. Like, I don't know what that is for you. Uh, like if it's like a, a hiking or an outdoor store for me or something. Like when I, when I walk in there, I begin to not just see, um, like I do like maybe with all those perfume stands, you know, that are in the middle. Uh, but I, I actually behold. This, this, is, this is what um, commercials are always wanting us to do. They're not just wanting to, us to give us information. They want us to behold the product. They want us to see with eyes of desire. Um, to behold means that I see myself in that. You see the difference? To behold is to begin to see ourselves in something. And so what's important is to notice that, that we are beholding all the time. We are, we are seeing ourselves um, in things all the time. This is, this is happening all the time. And it's not necessarily, that beholding is not necessarily giving us meaning um, and purpose and identity uh, that are characterized by God's salvation. And that what it means that Jesus is the epiphany of God's purpose and to behold him means that what we're doing is we're beginning to see an image of him as our renewed humanity, as how and, 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 and what God is doing with the world. And so when we begin to behold him, we're beginning to see ourselves in Jesus, getting caught up into Jesus's life. And so we're not just, not just talking about Jesus, not, being, not just or even studying Jesus, but beholding Jesus, seeing ourselves, seeing our lives in Jesus' life. This is where even I can identify with my friend, even though like, I'm doing ministry, ministry stuff all the time. Like It's so easy for me to do a whole lot of seeing, a whole lot of talking, a whole lot of studying, but not beholding. I notice this in my life. I can be completely surrounded with all the right books and all the right stuff and all the right artifacts or whatever and not behold, not, not see a vision of renewed humanity and see myself caught up into it. Christ the King, the good news is that we don't have to give up or give over to practical 
atheism. We can behold Jesus today. We can commune with him and get caught up into Jesus' life. And then ourselves become an epiphany for others of God's saving purposes. One, three quick things. The first thing is that one thing I'm not trying to do uh, is, is to hype us up. Right? One of the things that, that happens when we start to feel our life become monotonous is that we, we um, fall into, maybe it's a modern temptation, uh, to make things a little bit more exciting. So some of us like go through midlife crises, <laughs> Um, but that can happen in a really religious way. We can just go from, like, try to seek a, a more intense religious experience. And it, like, peters out, and then we go somewhere else and seek another more intense religious experience. And then we get really confused when we're not experiencing some type of intensity um, in our time with Jesus. I'm not trying to hype us up. This is not about that. This is, this is more like, uh, beholding Jesus is more like the long obedience in the same direction. It's the kind of thing that, that looks like learning to detox from our addiction to re- a religious high, a spiritual high. That's the first thing. The second thing is this question about what does this look like? Beholding Jesus, like in my actual life, doesn't mean that um, I need to start looking for Jesus in my toast. Right? Yes. 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 It does, but maybe not in the way that you think. How do we do this? We, we behold, we behold and commune with Christ in word and table. We behold and commune with Christ in word and table. And that all starts here. Like we, this thing that we're doing, we're not doing it um, because we just don't have anything better to do on Sunday nights. Or because we get points for being here. Or, or because God is more happy or satisfied with us because we're here doing this. We're, we're here doing this because as we gather together in God's presence, and as we behold Jesus through word and table, we begin to be caught up into him. Into his life. When we behold him, we're not getting Jesus into our life. When we commune with Jesus, we're not taking Jesus into our life. We are being caught and taken up into Jesus' life. And so as that happens, that begins to transform the rest of our lives. So the point isn't that we're looking for Jesus in the toast, but as we begin to behold Jesus through his word and his table, we begin to see the deeper meaning and purpose and end behind the toast. We begin to see the deeper purpose and meaning uh, behind the eating of the toast, behind what the toast is doing, behind who we're eating the toast with. We begin to see the deeper meaning and purpose um, in the kind of work that we're doing, in in the meaning and purpose of our bodies, of our relationships, of our love for one another, of our sharing, of all the mundane stuff. We begin to catch a vision for how even those things are charged with where God is taking the world, how he's renewing things, and how Jesus is the image for us of our renewed humanity. And so then we go out and we see Jesus, not just in the toast, in the toast, but also in the face of the stranger, of the friend, of the coworker, of the family member, of the peer. And we begin to see, we begin to behold Jesus in other people. 
And they too are caught up. And our relationship with them is caught up with how God is renewing all things. And the last thing is that Jesus' Jesus's epiphany, this reframes our, our purpose, our mission. It, refrain, it reframes what evangelism means. So we're, we're going out and we're not just trying to convince others to believe new things or to behave in different ways. We ourselves are beholding Jesus, getting caught up into Jesus' life, and then we become uh, a revelation, an epiphany of God's saving purposes in the way that we live our life and interact with others. So I hope that during the season of Epiphany that, that we can continue to push into this of, of let's behold Jesus, commune with him. What do we see? What do we notice about how specifically God is renewing and redeeming hu- humanity as we behold Jesus? What implications does that have for us? I hope that that's where, where we can go. But tonight, let's, let's respond. Let's respond just in this way. Uh, during the prayer time, if you want to name it out loud, I encourage you to, maybe you can pray one of two prayers. Uh, one is just simply, uh, Lord Jesus, I want to behold you in. Where, where maybe there's a place of, of that seems particularly um, fraught with the danger of functional atheism for you. Jesus, I want to behold you. I want to catch a vision for, for God's saving purposes to renew all things in. Or, or similarly, maybe we can pray, Lord Jesus, I want to be an epiphany of your life in Christ the King. The good news is that Jesus is, is the epiphany of God's saving purposes to renew all things. I invite you to continue to behold him tonight.